Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Morning. Let me gather you back together. <clears throat> if you're new to our church, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm the guy you got to listen to for about a half hour from this point forward. And uh, I want to welcome you, especially if you're new or newer. I know how uncomfortable it is to be new anywhere. Um, I've been in that position a number of times in my life, and it is really uncomfortable. Your skin kind of crawls the whole time. I hope you will make at least one or two connections today that will make you feel truly welcomed here. If you are a regular harvest attender and you see a new face, I want to really encourage you to put yourself in their shoes, remember what it's like to be new, and just warmly greet one another in the love of Christ. That makes a huge difference in how we experience God's work whenever we step into a new place. And I want to thank you for coming, welcome you here, let you know that there's a place for you here, and you are most welcome among us. We've been working our way through a series, and I thought about doing the illustration again at the last message, but I forgot to bring my bungee cord. So let me describe it to you. I set up the series by having a bungee cord, a heavy gauge bungee cord, strapped to a a man's belt. And I asked him to start walking away from me slowly. And as he walked away, obviously one big fear was that my weak hands were going to let go of the cord and he's going to have a permanent injury on his back. But as he was walking away from me, the tension increased until at one point he could move no further. And then I asked him to stay there in that fixed position, and what we all saw was, as he was at the height of that tension, it took all his strength just to stay in place. If he relaxed even a little, he would be pulled backwards. He would begin to digress. And and that illustration was basically a way of describing what spiritual life feels like for so many people who've been at it for a very long time. They can't quite explain it. They're going through all the motions, the familiar forms. They show up at church. They try to read their Bible. They pray before every meal. They're doing all the things they think are the right things to do to move forward with God. And yet something inside in the spiritual realm remains fixed, locked in place, and they can't seem to move forward at all. It's as if They don't have any animosity towards God, and yet they cannot experience a reawakening of love and excitement and flourishing for God in their hearts, and they can't understand it. And so we began to identify certain things that represent these spiritual bungee cords in the the life of a person. What are some of these things that, if they're not addressed or taken care of, you can't just pretend those problems don't exist and still try to press forward? It's very much like marriage because the Christian journey is really a relationship. It's not a religion. It's not a thing you can compartmentalize and say, well, God, I know we have issues here, but let's forget all that and let me just be really faithful here. That doesn't work in relationships and it doesn't work in Christianity. 
I mean, you can imagine that if you had been doing all kinds of horrible things in marriage, a thousand bouquets of roses will not address the issue in a marriage, will it? If you've really been doing some horrible things to hurt your mate, then doing a lot of really right things on the other end won't erase that issue in a relationship. The, the foundational issues have to be addressed so that the whole relationship can continue to move forward in a healthy way. And I think, I don't want to be a, uh, guilty of stereotyping, but most men, we're kind of simpletons. We found two or three things that work to make her smile again, and we just keep trying those things, and when they don't work, we're confounded. Uh, I gave you your flowers. What happened? I took you to that restaurant. I, I, I'm out of answers. I don't know what to do. It's like you just turned it all off. And like, pay attention. What's really going on between you? So we've looked at four of them so far. And I want to look at the fifth one this morning. And if you're wondering what the other four are, I don't have time to review them. But I would ask you to go on our website or on our podcast and the preceding four messages are all out there for you to see. And when I'm done with this one, Lord willing, I'm going to write recaps of all five and email them out to the whole church. All right? It's going to be fun. The fifth one here is oaths and vows. And I'm not talking about things like marriage vows or oaths that you took when you were sworn in as a juror in a court of law. I'm not talking about legal oaths and legal vows, but I'm talking about words that we speak to ourselves with the deepest and strongest intention we can muster up. I have left my clicker, Suresh. If you wouldn't, oh, thank you, Susie. <laughs> Thanks. Today, in our culture, we don't really take words very seriously. We have this idea that um, words are just temporary expressions of what's in my heart right now. I kind of am like that in, in the fact that I'm a, a verbal processor, so I process everything out loud. So sometimes, this is a weird thing, I'm arguing vigorously for one point at the start of a conversation, and then the other person convinces me, sways me, makes some wonderful points, and by the end of the conversation, I'm yelling just as loud in support of their position. It makes the people around me think I'm kind of stupid. But it's just how I process. And so for me, sometimes I start thinking words are just meaningful for the moment that they're spoken. They're just temporary windows into my brain, into my heart. And that just like vapor, they disappear the moment they're spoken. They're useful only for an instant. But that's not really the truth of words, is it? See, words are not vaporous temporary things. Yes, after a word is spoken, it just disappears, but not really because the heart, the human heart is like an echo chamber and those words continue to have a serious profound impact on us. Think about, think back to your life, about the power that words have had in shaping you. Think about one hurtful hateful, damaging word, and the scars that that word has left behind for you. I can think of one right now. And it's amazing that at the age of 50, whenever I think about that moment and that word, the emotions rise up in me the exact same way that I felt them when I was 16 years old. I can't explain it. 
so long ago, 34 years ago, and the emotional force of that hurtful word is as fresh right now as it was when it was first spoken. Think about the strength, the uplift you experienced when in a moment of vulnerability, someone spoke a kind, a current, encouraging, affirming word to you. Someone noticed you, saw your effort, saw what, and they said something to you, and they said, you know, way to go. I saw what you did there, and it just lifted your heart, profoundly affected you. See, words matter. And the words we speak and the words we hear have a profound impact on how our lives are shaped. Words don't just express our hearts. Words actually bind our hearts, too. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 to 37, Jesus said this thing almost in passing that is really hard to shake off. He said, one day there will be an accounting. We will all stand in front of God and give an account of our lives. It's basically an explanation. The ultimate version of your parents going, all right, what were you thinking? What were you doing? And you have to stand before God and go, well, okay. And he will play the tape. And what he says is, one day you will give an account for every careless word you spoke. And a little earlier in that text, in verse 34, he says, that's because Here's how it, it's translated in the NIV. He says it's because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I think that's an awesome translation of those words. And what, what he means by that is the reason we will give an account of every careless word is because those words reveal what's in our hearts. Now, if God takes that seriously, every little word we speak that reveals bigotry, judgment, annoyance, hatred. How much more seriously will he take the words that we speak with deep intention into our hearts? If the careless words that spill out of our hearts is problematic, imagine how seriously God takes the words we speak into our hearts to tell our hearts how to behave, how to feel, how to think. Those words we speak to ourselves are sometimes the most powerful words that shape our lives. We like to point the fingers outward and say, you said a word to me, you said a word to me, you said a word to me. But listen, it is not the words of others that have the ultimate power over us. I think two even more powerful words are the word of God and the words that we say to ourselves. Oaths and vows, the kinds of promises we speak to our own hearts, are among the most powerful and binding of the words that we can speak as human beings. I want to trace two different kinds of these deep heart promises, these declarations. And one kind is born out of pride. See, there's nothing wrong with making plans for our lives. How many of you are planners? Just raise your hand. Be proud. You know you annoy everybody else when you're trying to go on vacation. Like, what's the plan? What's the plan? What's the plan? I got to know. Every 15 minutes. All right. Planners, good. How many of you are not planners at all? You just want to show up and whatever. Yeah, that's me. I have two hands. I am not a planner. My wife, she don't raise up two hands. She is a uber planner. There's nothing wrong 
with making plans. In fact, I'm learning as I get older that my not being a planner is causing lots of problems for the people I care about. (laughs) And I feel bad about that. But sometimes we take it too far, and the plans we make for our lives begin to edge out the plans that God has for our lives. So that really as we begin to make these firm plans for how my life will go, and if you have kids, you know you're probably guilty of this, how your kid's life will go, so help me God. We begin to plan in such a way that my plan for my own life becomes all-powerful. It trumps the plans of anybody else for my life really including God's, because so often those plans we make for ourselves are not the result of a conversation with God, but a declaration apart from God. Saying, I don't know what God has in store for me, but I can tell you this much. This is what's going to happen for me. This is how I'm going to live my life, on my terms, by my ways, my convictions, my principles, on my authority. Jesus once told this parable in Luke chapter 12. And here's what the parable says. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul? You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Some of you are getting blessed by that. Oh, that sounds like an awesome life situation. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? There's a lot that can be said about that. I don't want to belabor that whole text. I just want to point out one thing. Look how one-sided this planning conversation is. How first person everything is that this man deliberates. And that's why I was trying to give you a little bit of my, my amateur acting skills to say, it's all I, my. In verse 19, he even says, I love this part, I will say to my soul, soul? We do that, don't we? We don't just live out of our souls. We tell the deepest part of ourselves what to feel, what to think, how it's going to be. Soul, listen. And we make these firm declarations that say, this is then how I will live from now on. What my life will look like, I will take control, I will hold the wheel, and I will make sure that I steer my life in the direction that I want to go. Now, there isn't anything wrong with the desire to end up in a good place, to want to experience fruitfulness or safety in our lives, but there is something terribly wrong if you are saved and walking with the living God, there is something terribly wrong with doing that apart from him, as though somehow he purchased for you eternal life and gave everything back to you and just said, you do whatever you want with this now. I mean, if I bought my son a car, I would not be greatly honored or pleased if he used it to run drugs all weekend. See, it's not that God gives us a gift and says, this is all just for you. You do whatever you want with it because it's yours. He bought our lives at a price that was huge. 
It cost him dearly. And what he says now is, it's now your life in my hands. And what he says to us is that the plans I have for you are better than the plans you want to make for yourself. That's something that's easy to say from a pulpit. But sometimes things happen to us that make us begin to doubt that. To wonder if God's plans really are better than the plans we'd make for ourselves. You know, I I frequently travel to speak at other places, and I like it when they say to me, why don't you book your own airfare and we'll just reimburse you? Because when I've left it up to them, they've put me on flights that save them lots of money, but put me in a middle seat on a flight with like three stopovers. Very stressful. I find myself running full to the, the airports. And then sometimes I get there and they say, don't worry, we've got your lodging taken care of. And I, I groan. Oh, I've gone to places where they put me in a room with like six bunk beds. And every other guy is snoring and think, I would have gladly paid for a hotel out of my own pocket. So there's a fear in me when others want to control my travel arrangements. Because I'm really particular about what kind of flight I book, where I stay. I like to think I'm easygoing, but I'm, as I get older, man, I don't want anyone else controlling what my experience is going to be like getting there and staying there. And as I think about that, that's sometimes what drives this kind of oath or vow that comes out of pride. Is You know, I've put up with garbage long enough. I don't want to settle. I'm going to live a certain way. I'm going to have a certain kind of life. And as we begin to mistrust, well, if I leave it in God's hands, I know what he's going to do to me. It's going to be two-star all the way, baby. It's going to be travel lodges. Spirit Airlines, I'm sorry if you work for Spirit Airlines, but oh, good Lord, I'm not flying that carrier ever again. Nickel and dime for everything. Surprised that toilets are not paid toilets on that plane. And as we begin to mistrust what God would give us if we really yielded ourselves to him, we begin to take control back upon ourselves And little by little, we say this, and we say this, and we say, soul, here's how it's going to be for us from now on. And it amounts to a declaration of independence. Independence is a good thing if you're an American. But independence from God is a horrific thing if you really know who God is. It's interesting that these declarations that are born out of pride almost always begin with the words, I will. Maybe some of us have made such similar vows or oaths to ourselves. We said to ourselves, I will deny myself nothing and I will live without regrets. I will give myself and my loved ones only the best that this world has to offer. I will leave my mark on this world and people will remember my name. Now, I don't know why we care about that. You're dead. But it matters to some people that they have to leave a huge fist print on the face of the world. And humanity will remember their name. I don't know if you've made vows like that. Just certain things that will say, this is how I will live. Sometimes we make vows to our families. Saturday is golf day. Don't you ever... Ever try to interfere with that? 
I'm sorry if I just screwed up golf day for you. <laughs> and wives, please don't let that be the only thing you remember from this message. <clears throat> but we make these declarations that say, I will dictate the terms of my life. And we do it because somewhere along the way, we've stopped trusting that what God wants for us is anywhere as good as what we want for us. Maybe the reason you make these strong declarations is because you have been burned. You have yearned for God and he has felt far away and invisible. And maybe at this point, though you recognize you're saying stuff like this to your soul all the time, it's because you've lost sight of the care and love of God for you. You don't even know what those words mean anymore. If that's where you are, I have no rebuke for you, no correction for you. I simply want to pray over you the pastoral prayer of Paul. He said, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that come from God. That's my prayer for you. That if you have felt like you had to wrest control over your life from everyone else's hands, including God's, because you no longer trust anyone but yourself, my prayer for you is that somehow God in his great power will reveal to you in the depths of your heart how much better off you are in the hands of the God who loves you. To be fully convinced that his plan for your life is better than the plan you're setting out for yourself. Now, some of us have made some very strong declarations to our souls, not out of pride, but out of pain. I've heard about this genetic disorder that messes up people's pain receptors so that there are young children who will put their hands on a stove that's burning hot and not realize that they smell smoke and burning flesh. Some of us might think that would be awesome not to feel pain. It's not an awesome thing. There's terrible damage and danger that comes along with not being able to feel pain. But we have a natural pain response. When we feel pain, we immediately reroute to avoid that pain. It's, in fact, how we often have chosen as human beings to train animals. If you're part of the Humane Society, you hate that, but that's the truth of it is even animals that don't have the sophistication cognitively that we do understand that when I experience pain, I will reroute to avoid that pain. When we experience pain, we want to feel safe and we want to feel that we'll never have to endure it again. And there's two places we can run when we experience that kind of pain and want relief. One place we can run is inward to protect ourselves. And that's what a lot of people do. They shut down whenever they're hurt. This is one of the biggest problems in marital disputes is that there's two people whose lives are fully affecting each other, but when one of them pulls inward and away, it leaves one person uh, by themselves, but two people deeply hurt. 
It cuts off access. It puts up this huge wall like some kind of fixed barrier in a video game that you have to constantly work around. I'm trying to solve the problem, but I can't because I can't get to the room with the good stuff. The thing I need is cut off. What am I supposed to do now? But that's one of the most common responses to pain, especially if we are the kinds of people wired so that we don't naturally express and assert ourselves. If you're a non-expressive, non-assertive person, I will, pr- I will bet good money this is your typical go-to response to pain, is you shut down and you go inward. And you begin to erect walls and say, uh-uh, nope, I'm never going to be put through that again. Never. It hurts too much to trust people. There are no safe people. Everybody hates you. You just got to give them enough time. And I'm not denying the reality of your life experience. I'm not saying, no, you're just imagining it. They were really nice people. You must. I'm not saying that at all. The world is full of jerks. It is not a friendly place we live in. Not everybody loves you, though when I was four, I thoroughly believed it. Everyone loves me, and now I know. Most people don't love me at all. So we begin to build walls that are meant to protect us, and they do to some extent, don't they? Walls do that. But walls do lots of other things too. They don't just keep the bad stuff out, they keep everything in. And sometimes they keep the good out as well as the bad. Maybe you've uttered a declaration like this out of your deep pain, hurt, and the fear that it produced. And very often these kinds of oaths and vows begin with the phrase, I will never. I will never. I will never, ever let anyone get that close to me again. It's not safe. I will never trust anyone so easily again. Here's another common one for children who live with disappointment all the time. Can I? No! How about that? No! And they shrivel inside because all they ever hear is no. And they say in their souls, I will never get my hopes up again. What's the point? of wishing and dreaming and hoping when nothing you ever hope for gets realized. And so we say to ourselves, I will never hope again. Here's one I said to myself, I will never let anyone know what I'm really feeling. That's the painful experience I had at 16, that for a a long season of my life, I tried to be Joe Inscrutable. You will never know what I am feeling inside. I couldn't do it. I, I tried for years. I couldn't do it. I just am not wired that way. But it really hurt to be so embarrassed by a trusted friend, so insulted by a trusted friend. And I thought, then you're never going to see the real me. I'm just going to show you what you think you need to see. The reason we build walls is because we don't feel safe. And because we don't believe anyone can protect me. And I can understand that at some point, you may have experienced in your life, be led to believe that even God cannot protect you. The problem with walls is they don't just protect you from things, 
but they fail to heal you from the wounds already sustained. You can raise a wall, but you cannot heal without a healer. And sometimes in the isolation of that wall, festering in your wounds, you become totally an embittered person. Everyone who loves you is as much shut out by that wall as the people who hate you. And you stay inside the supposed safety of that wall, but your wound is not healing. It's just still wide open. And it's getting infected. And it's starting to turn you into somebody you are not. The worst part of that tragedy is not that you were hurt, but that somehow your pain drove you even away from your Savior and your healer. I really love the words of Psalm 511. This is the heart of God. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Listen to these words. Spread your protection over them that all who love your name may be filled with joy. Years ago, I had a friend. I could be careful because I have received permission to share very generally about this story. I'll simply say he was a friend who was a leader. And he had a daughter who he loved dearly. But she had made some very poor very self-destructive choices, and as a result, other people had done some very bad and very destructive things to her. And in her brokenness and pain and shame and regret, she had no place to take those things, or so she thought. So she left home. She ran away from everything and everyone. And he often drove the streets of the city looking for her. He would find policemen, show his picture. He would go into crack houses and places that are very dangerous and places you'd hope you don't find your kid, but he went anyway, and he could not find her. Years later, through a friend who was a police officer, he located her, and she was in the exact kind of place you might have expected, and she had done some things to herself in the intervening years that left her a a shell of a person. And he tried to reach out to her, and she said, there's no way I'm coming home. No way. And he wrestled with guilt because he tried to figure out, did I do something to push you away? But pain does weird things to people. It's not about what her parents did or did not do. Pain produced this thing in her that drove her inward and away from everyone and everything. And I remember the pain and longing in his face as he talked about her and said, Dave, if only she would come home. You have no idea how badly I want to cover her and protect her and restore her and love her. I don't care if it takes 30 years, I would lay down my life to restore her, to heal her, anything. If only she would stop shutting herself off from the world and come home to me, it would begin. Something could happen. I can't reach her. I believe some people in this room may be in that very place right now. I have no one specific in mind. But in a room this size, 
someone is there, we're getting there. And I want to tell you that there is no safety in that place you've built around yourself. The wounds will remain, but you have a Father in heaven who loves you, who actually has the power to bind up that wound, clean it up, put it back together. Yes, there will be a scar, but you will keep living. Proverbs 18.10 says to us, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. Do you hear that? The desire to build a fortress is not the problem. It's building your own around yourself. He says, God himself is a strong fortress. The godly who run to him are safe. It's okay to want protection when you're hurt. But I want you to know that the protection God offers is better than the protection you raise around yourself. Sometimes the walls you've raised are protecting you from God himself. In my neighborhood, I'll just kind of land the plane with this quick story. In my neighborhood, um, the village wanted to build a fire station. But nobody wanted to hear the sirens go off, as if that's an everyday thing, right? But no one wanted to hear the sirens go off in my neighborhood. So they said, move it to the other side of the tracks. Well, you've heard the stories of the railroad tracks in my neighborhood. The Canadian National Rail decided that's a parking lot for their trains. So they just parked their trains for 20 minutes. There's no passing that road. And now that railroad, which is the Great Wall of Canada, sits between salvation and my burning house. And I just saw a post on our neighborhood Facebook page just this past week. Someone took a picture of a fire truck stopped at the tracks and saying, I sure hope they make it there before the house burns down. I hope those people are okay wherever they're headed. And I thought, that's what we do. We think, oh, I don't want you that close to me. I don't want you in my face. But you realize sometimes the walls you put up keep out salvation itself. Help can come, but only when you tear down the walls that shut everything and everybody out. It's ironic that so many of these declarations we make out of pride and out of pain invoke the name of God. We say things like, I swear to God, never again. So help me God, I'm going to. We invoke the name of God in the exact process of shutting God out, of saying, you have no place here. I decide how my life will live. I decide who I will let in. I will protect myself. I don't need anyone. And I swear to God that I don't need anyone. What I want to remind you, if you've spoken words to your own soul that have bound you up and are holding you back, you can be free. You can be free. But only if you decide to cut that cord. Maybe you've decided to direct your own life, to protect your own life. But I want to remind you that you have a God who loves you more than you can imagine. 
Paul even says he loves you more than you can fully understand. And that God has an amazing plan for your life. That same God has the heart of a father. And if you are a mother or father, you understand what I'm describing to you. When your child is hurt, what would you not do to bring healing and safety to the one you love? That's his heart for you. I know you want to protect yourself. But in the same way, it would break your heart when your own child pushes you away. Don't push your heavenly father away. He can protect and heal you, but not if you push away his healing hands. Not if you push away his protective arms. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. Don't shut him out of your life. Don't say things to your soul that free you of your need for God. Can you see why such a statement would create a barrier between you and God in that relationship? If you want to be free and move forward, if you recognize that this is at the heart of one of your problems spiritually, I want to give you a moment just right now to just bow with me in prayer. I'm going to invite the, the praise team to come up. We're going to have one closing song, and then we have a, a fairly lengthy announcement we've got to get through, and we want to give ample time for that. So as the team comes up, I don't want to take a long time for this response. <clears throat> but I want you to think about things you said to yourself. I will. I will never. Strong statements that sound like they're redeeming, affirming of yourself, validating, empowering, but really what they've done effectively is pushed all the people out, even those like God who are for you and with you, not against you. How much better then to say, God, I want a good life, a meaningful life. I want to feel safe again. I want to heal Where do I go for that? How about we run to the one who saves? We call him Savior for a reason. So let's run to him. Let's run to him. I'm going to invite you just to take a minute now. And however you need to respond to God, you pray to him in your own words, from your own heart. And then we'll sing a song and we'll have some closing announcements. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.